0: Hey everybody and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of The Rugby Report, your weekly recap and preview podcast of all things rugby. My name is Dwayne Burkhardt and in this episode, we will cover all of the week's action in France as the 2023 Rugby World Cup heads towards the quarterfinals. And of course, we'll recap the end of the regular season in the Bunnings NPC League in New Zealand and look forward to the first round of the playoffs there. But first, I have exciting news to report. According to Feedspot, this podcast is now one of the top five rugby podcasts in New Zealand. Yay! And while I am recording them from half a world away in Arizona, I am delighted to be so honored, and I encourage all of my Kiwi listeners to please tell all of your friends and subscribe. Let's begin our coverage now by checking in on the World Cup. I noted that while we were recording the broadcast last week, There was a key matchup being played between Wales and Australia, and I further noted that the result of that game would tell us a lot about how Pool C was going to turn out. What I obviously did not know, again because the game was literally going on as we were recording, was that the Wallabies were in the process of getting Wallab-beat by Wales in a game that demonstrated that as bad as you thought things were for the Aussies right now, they're actually worse. The full-time score in that game was Wales 40, Australia 6. And trust me, folks, it wasn't as close as the score indicates. And the score indicates that it was a blowout. As a fan of rugby in Australia, this was just plain depressing to watch. But it might be the wake-up call that Aussie management needs to turn the game around in their country. One would hope that the sudden firing of Dave Rennie and the hiring of Eddie Jones is now seen as the mistake that it was, and that going forward, Rugby Australia will finally realize that in a nation where it's competing for talent with the NRL and Australian rules football, that, well, they need to get their checkbooks out, and they have to do better. Australia's hopes in 2023 are pretty much gone now, but I for one hope that the lessons learned benefit them in the long run. Anyway, this week's action began on Wednesday, when Uruguay dispatched Namibia 36-26. Then on Thursday, Japan had all they could handle, but still managed to come out on top of Samoa. Full-time score there was Japan 28, Samoa 22. But the game of the week was Friday night, when all eyes were on the New Zealand All Blacks, as they took on Italy in a game that, well, let's just say that If it didn't silence the All-Black doubters, it certainly shut them up for a few days. The All-Blacks came into this game with something to prove. And, well, they did, as they dominated this game in historic fashion. It was a statement from start to finish, a complete clinic on both sides of the ball. The full-time score was an almost unbelievable New Zealand 96. Italy 17. Next up, Argentina similarly bounced back in strong fashion by pounding neighboring Chile into the ground. The full time score there was Argentina 59, Chile 5. Ouch! Fiji then edged out Georgia 17 to 12 in what was easily the most contested game of the week, and then the bagpipe blowers simply blew the Romanians off the planet. The full-time score there was Scotland 84, Romania nil. Ow! Finally, the Aussies bounced back against Portugal. The full-time score there, 34-14. Looking at the pools now, with just one week left, and frankly little chance that the standings are going to change, in Pool A, it's France and New Zealand on top. In Pool B, it's still Ireland and South Africa, But Scotland and Ireland play a key matchup this coming Saturday, and if the Scots actually won that game, it could really upend the results there. In Pool C, Wales and Fiji sit on top, and again, with the Aussies lost to Wales last week, I no longer see that changing. And the world can now look forward to a new nation joining the knockout rounds. And finally, in Pool D, England and Argentina are now in the top spots, But watch out, Argentina, because you played Japan this weekend, and, as those of us who remember the 2015 World Cup know all too well, the Japanese are very capable of playing the role of spoiler. Finally, before we turn our attention to the NPC, I'll quickly let you know what it now looks like the quarterfinal matches are going to be in the RWC. And frankly, folks, there are some big games that are going to happen in the quarterfinal round. For example, if nothing changes, we'll see France face off against South Africa in a rematch of what was, in my opinion, the game of the year in 2022. And then we'll see New Zealand play Ireland. Although, as I've noted before, with so many Ireland starters being from New Zealand, it's starting to feel a lot more like New Zealand playing against Ireland and New Zealand. On the other side of the pools, Wales would start off by playing Argentina in a game that might be really good. And finally, Fiji would face a struggling England team. And who knows, folks, Fiji could make their first semi-finals ever. So stay tuned. Okay, let's do head down under now and have a look at the last weekend of regular season action in New Zealand's NPC competition. And it was ridiculously exciting. The weekend began in Auckland, where the Northland Tanafa came to town with nothing to play for but pride, while Auckland was still hoping for the chance to host a playoff game. It was a blustery night in the Garden of Eden, but Auckland still managed to control the first quarter of the game, jumping out to a 10-0 lead. But the Tanafa did not come to town to just lie down, and they responded with two tries of their own and took a 12-10 lead. Auckland was then able to take advantage of a Northland yellow card and retook the lead 17-12, but Northland immediately responded, and just like that, it was 19-17 Northland at the break. In the second half, Auckland clearly had all they could handle, but it looked like they were finally driving to take control of the game when a ridiculously brilliant defensive play from the Tanafa robbed Auckland of a try. Still, they eventually got a penalty kick, and it was 20-19 Auckland. But Northland would not die, and with barely more than 10 minutes to play, retook the lead again, 26-20. But when they needed it most, with time running out, needing a converted try to win, Auckland loses the ball at the try line, and Northland looks like they're going to hang on! But no! Auckland gets another chance and in extra time drives over the line right between the posts and Auckland survives a thriller at home. The full-time score was Auckland 27, Northland 26, and as someone who watched the game, let me tell you folks, I need oxygen. Saturday's action began in Hamilton, where the Waikato Moulus hosted Canterbury in a must-win game for the Mulus in order to guarantee a postseason spot. As predicted, this too was a barn burner between two good and determined sides. Canterbury got a lucky break early and took a 7-0 lead, but the Mulus responded right away to make it 7-5. And then minutes later, after the sun made a very welcome appearance, the Mulu's drive the field again, twice, and suddenly it was 15-7 Waikato. But back comes Canterbury, charging down a kick and running it in, and then following that with a powerful drive, and just like that, it's 21-15 Canterbury. Minutes later, the sun is gone and it's raining again. But the Mooloos are unfazed as they blast their way back into the game, and it was just 21-20 Canterbury at the break. In the second half, well, the sun came out again, and the Mooloos responded with a spectacular scoring drive, easily one of the best of the entire season, and they retake the lead 27-21. Moments later, it looked like the Moulous were going to score again, but this time it is Canterbury with the steal, and they drive nearly the entire 100 meters, and they score to retake the lead again, 28-27. Late in the game, wait for it, the rain returns, but with each change in the weather, it seems that the Mulus must score, and so they do again to retake the lead again, 34-28. In the final minutes, the Mulu's drive again, and when they come up short, they get a penalty to extend their lead to 37-28, and they needed it, because Canterbury would not quit, and they closed the gap to 37-35. But that is how it ended, in yet another thriller, the full-time score, Waikato 37, Canterbury 35. The second game on Saturday was, well, a bit of a shocker, actually. The undefeated, first-place, Ranfurly Shield-wielding Wellington Lions. A team that hasn't just looked unbeatable all year, they've actually been unbeatable all year. Well, they hosted the frankly and unusually inconsistent Hawks Bay Magpies in a game that admittedly didn't mean anything for Wellington, except for possession of the Shield and the chance to have a perfect regular season, but then it didn't mean much for Hawks Bay either, in that they had made the playoffs either way, and their odds of hosting a playoff game were very long indeed. So, you wouldn't think that this game would be our third straight back-and-forth barn burner game of the weekend, but that's why they play the games. The teams began by trading tries, leaving it 7-5 Wellington, but then the Magpies got a penalty, and it looked like it was going to be 8-7 Magpies at the half, but a penalty at the buzzer gave the lead back to the Lions 10-8. The second half began with a relentless drive by Hawks Bay that was met with equally relentless defense from the Lions. The Lions won that battle, but five minutes later the Magpies were back, and this time they would not be denied, and retook the lead 13-10. At about the 60-minute mark, there was a no-arms tackle that, for one of two times in the weekend, was inexplicably not carded but the Lions were able to use the penalty to tie the score 13-all. And that's the way it stayed until the closing minutes, when the Lions drove the line, scored, and seemed to finally take control of the game. But in the wild and blustery weather in Wellington, the Lions missed the conversion kick. And that would come back to bite them, because with barely two minutes to play, Sam Smith bowled his way over the line, right under the goalpost tied the game, and McClatchy made the conversion, and Hawks Bay finishes their season with three straight victories, and they take the Ranfurly Shield with them back to Napier for the duration of the summer. The full-time score, a shocking Wellington 18, Hawks Bay 20. Now, after three games like that, if you're like me, you need some rest. And that's exactly what we got as we headed to Taranaki on Saturday night to watch the Bulls close their regular season against North Harbor. The Bulls were playing for a chance to host a postseason game where, because Waikato had won earlier in the day, North Harbor's very slim chances at making the postseason were already dashed. But even if they hadn't been, well, this game would have put those hopes in the dumper. There's not a lot to say about this game, except that the Incredibles controlled it from start to finish. North Harbor had a few moments, but they were largely either not able to capitalize on their opportunities, or the Bulls' defense simply shut them down. It was 28-0 Bulls at the half, and the hibiscus were simply being trampled. North Harbor did score in the second half, but the game was already out of reach, and the full-time score was Taranaki 54, North Harbor 21. Sunday's action began at the gorgeous Taranga Domain, not far from the Dry Dock Cafe, which, again, is the best breakfast in all of New Zealand, as the number seven Bay of Plenty Steamers played host to the number six Tasman Mako. This was a big game for both teams, with playoff positions and hosting opportunities on the line. Would the Mako be able to ice the steamers, or would the steamers skewer the Mako? Well, it was the latter, folks. In fact, after starting our weekend with three heart-stopping games in a row, this game was our second where, once it got going, there really wasn't any doubt. That said, it did take a while for this game to get going. It was scoreless for the first 20 minutes before yet another high, no-arms tackle, this time by a Mako defender that went uncarded by the officials this weekend, and that led to the Steamers taking a 3-0 lead, And I should note that while I generally appreciate it when the officials let the game play on, I think they may have gone a bit far with that this weekend. But after that moment, the steamers woke up and took control of the game. It was 17-0 at the half, and in the second half, well, the fish got squished. The Mako needed a sturgeon. Somebody needed to call the Cods. Sorry, I had some leftover fish jokes that I never got to use this season. The Mako did eventually get on the board, but the Steamers rolled, making multiple breakaway tries, and they were once again one of the most entertaining and just plain fun teams to watch play the game. They scored a couple of very late tries in the game to make the full time score more of a blowout than the game really was, but either way, it was a convincing win for the Steamers, and the full time score was Bay of Plenty 41. Tasman. 12 Next up we're back to cardiac arrest inducing action in a game that I got wrong and you know what I'm totally okay with that The Otago Razorbacks who have played with heart but not results for the vast majority of their 2023 campaign returned home to finish their season against the vastly improved and possibly playoff bound County's Manukau Steelers Now as it happened earlier results in the weekend did mathematically eliminate the Steelers and I'm sure that didn't help their motivation but the fact is that both teams came out pretty up for this game. The sunlight was streaming into my favorite sports venue on Earth, Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin, and both teams had early chances deep in each other's territory, but couldn't punch it in. In fact, it was 20 minutes into the game before the back-and-forth action really got going. The Steelers broke away and took a 5-0 lead, Otago responded to make it 7-5, but then counties came right back to retake the lead 12-7, And then Otago returned the favor, and they retook the lead 14-12. And that's where we were at the break. But in the second half, Otago began to pull away, driving the field twice and taking a 28-12 lead. Counties would close the gap, but each time they did, Otago would respond and open it back up. And the final gap, well, it was the same. Full-time score, Otago 38, Counties 22. And finally this year, in a game that I correctly predicted yet again for this team, the Southland Stags traveled up to a wild and incredibly windy Central Energy Trust Arena in Palmerston North, where they hadn't won a game since 2010. Would the Stags take all of the air out of the propeller heads? Or would they once again end up mounted on the wall in Palmerston North? Well. It was a while before anyone scored in this one, but if you watched the game, you just had a feeling that the Stags might yet finally trample their opposition. They just seemed to have momentum, pace, and frankly, they wanted it more. They scored first to take a 7-0 lead, but the Turbos returned the favor to make it 7-5, and it looked like that was going to be the score at the break, but in the last minute of the half, Southland broke free and went about 78 meters. The last 60 from scrum half Jay Renton, and after a spectacular conversion kick from the legendary Marty Banks, in again, ridiculously windy conditions, it was 14-5 to Southland at the half. And in the second half, the Stags came out determined to make the game theirs. They scored early to make a 21-5, and then at just the 45-minute mark, Once again, the legendary veteran, Marty Banks, opts to try a penalty kick from just over 50 meters away. And again, in wild and windy conditions. But he nails it, and the Stags now lead 24-5. The Turbos finally put a decent drive together to score and close the gap to 24-12, but that was it. Late scores from the Stags ran up the score a bit more from there, but again, the Southland Stags controlled this game. And for the first and only time this year, as I predicted last week, the Southland Stags are winners! They defeat the Manawatu Turbos, full-time score, Southland 37, Manawatu 12. Checking in on my predictions now, for the last time this season, I was 44-15 going into the week. And in this final week I was 6 and 2 with congratulations to the Magpies and most especially to the Razorbacks who I did not see winning their games. And so I finished this season 50 and 17 which is a 74.6% winning percentage which is just barely better than the 73.5% finish that I had during last year's NPC season. But I'll take it. And now the playoffs are upon us. So let's look at the final standings and the matchups for the quarterfinal round this weekend. At the top of the table is, of course, the Wellington Lions, who, despite losing their last game and the Ranfurly Shield, still finish 9-1 and comfortably sit on top of the table. They will host the number 8 Waikato Moulus this weekend in a game that I predict will be tough for the Lions. But ultimately, well, just as the Lions beat the Moulus in Hamilton 41-24 a few weeks ago, I think they will roar again, while the Mulus will see their hard fought and well finished season come to a close. Wellington wins that game. Next up, the Taranaki Incredibles have launched themselves all the way into the number two spot, and they will host the number seven Tasman Mako. The Bulls are arguably the most improved team in the league this year, but the Mako have also come swimming back from obscurity and they won't be so easy to hook and reel in. Tasman actually won the regular season game between these two teams in Taranaki just a few weeks ago. But that game was played in insane conditions, and the Bulls were not at their best. This should be a whale of a game, but ultimately, the Bulls have made me a believer, and I think that they will fillet the fish and advance at home. Taranaki wins the game. Next, number three Canterbury will host number six Auckland in a postseason rematch of one of the greatest NPC grand finals in league history. These two teams also played just a few weeks ago, and Auckland won that thriller 36 29 in Auckland. But this game won't be in Auckland. And frankly, this time it's Canterbury that comes into the game with something to prove and I think they will. Once again, this game could be a great game, but I have to favor the home team. Canterbury pulls this out and moves on. And finally, the Battle of the Bays as the number four Bay of Plenty steamers host the number five Hawks Bay Magpies. These two teams also just played each other just a few weeks ago. And in that game, a nail-biting thriller in Napier, it was the Steamers who narrowly edged out the Magpies 38-35. The Steamers remain one of my favorite teams to watch, while the Magpies remain, well, surprisingly streaky in 2023. That said, they're coming off of a huge victory against the number one-ranked Lions, and well, if they're a streaky team, then it has to be said that they are, well, streaking right now. But can they take the steam out of the steamers at home? Well, they can. And I predict that this will be another close game between these incredibly evenly matched local rivals. But in the end, I once again have to go with the home team here and say that the steamers will make it to the semifinals, while the Magpies will have to be content with owning the Ranfurly Shield until next year. Steamers win. And that's it, folks. That's all the more time we have for Season 3, Episode 8 of The Rugby Report. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell all of your rugby friends about our show. And remember, if you're a if-at-first-you-don't-succeed type of person, maybe don't try skydiving. See you next time. This episode of The Rugby Report is the 2023 copyrighted property of Narratives, LLC. It is intended for the free, private, and non-commercial use of its listeners only and may not be rebroadcast or retransmitted either in whole or part without written permission. Please email info at narrativesllc.com for more information.